Hello, Lockdown Guardians fans. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen three days a week of the offseason. You know the drill. Uh, But thank you again for making it your first listen. Free and available wherever you get podcasts. Now that I've said that, what are we going to talk about on the show today? Well, let's talk about the CBA. Well, not necessarily the CBA. Let's talk about the ongoing negotiations as they are being done uh, in public to the chagrin of ownership. I think it's a little disingenuous for, I don't know if anyone saw that, you know, basically information leaked out and a former, um, former, ex- not executive, a former, you know, politician, or should I say just someone who worked in politics saying, oh, we can't believe that things that were said in this meeting are getting out and this and that. Uh, and so we, we do have some pieces of information that have been updated as the day has gone on. We do have more of what is occurring in terms of this collective bargaining that's happening as we hope to not lose any games. So let's talk about it. You know, the biggest, biggest thing for the owners is the players have given up the idea of five years to free agency instead of six that at six years, uh, you know, basically keeping the structure as is in that regard. And uh, what the MLB owners gave up was a proposal that eliminated salary arbitration altogether for players who already have a right to go through it. So basically, we're going to get rid of arbitration. We'd like one more. We would like only five years. Both those are going out to keep the system as is. The big um, point now is the MLB's willingness to introduce a bonus full pool for pre-arbitration players. Players Association proposed one worth $105 million. MLB on Tuesday proposed one worth $10 million. So a bit of a gap. Uh, we're saying, okay, all pre-arbitration players, you get a pool of, you know, because it's those, those bonus, it's the, you know, the Shane Beavers of the world. He's making league minimum this year. Next year he won't. But specifically for those guys who are pre-arbitration, who don't get to go to arbitration, those players in those first few years, the total pool, the MLB Players Association one was $105 million. That's aggressive uh, to a degree. I do understand that be for some guys that really jumps them up. Um, you know, 105 million is a lot. Just when you consider the number of players in general, I mean, there are a lot of young players who are in that. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, it's not just like the Shane Bieber's of the world. It's also the, you know, the Daniel Johnsons, for instance, who are kind of up and down, but did get about a year of service time. Uh, previously, the MLB have proposed that if you're at one to you one to Zero to one years, you'd get six hundred thousand. One to two would be six hundred fifty, and two to three would be bumped up to seven hundred thousand. Uh, what this would mean was that the first group would be up to six hundred fifteen thousand, so a slight increase on what they had originally proposed. Not quite the massive increase players wanted, um, but under the MLB proposal, teams would no longer be able to choose to give players more than the minimum, say for contract extensions and whatever would come from a bonus pool. So if a team wanted a player pay a player who hasn't reached arbitration more than the league minimum but can do so and some teams do reward players in that way so today you can pay above minimum the new system would say you can't do that anymore i would be curious to see um this pool of you know it like I said, this is a big gap so i mean it, the players offered 105 and the owners came out at 10 million i wouldn't be surprised if we end up getting somewhere around 40 45 you know meet in the middle you, you throw out a number at the other end, hoping to meet in the middle. That, that's, we know how negotiating works. So for these pre-arbitration players, now the question becomes, is that the teams? Is this increasing the lower half of payroll on teams this way? 
Uh, is this going to come out of maybe the revenue sharing budget that if they have, again, this pooled? Is that okay? So a lot of this goes. Uh, speaking of revenue sharing, I threw an idea out there on Twitter today, and we'll talk about it in segment two of the show. I want to get feedback. I, I liked my idea. I did not get a ton of feedback right away on it. Uh, and I would kind of like to see what some more people think. So I'll throw the idea out there, just a spitballing idea. But at least we're seeing some movement. Uh, we know for a long time nothing was happening with the players and the owners. Uh, <laughs> should we bring up Colorado's owner? Let's bring it up. Uh, the you know the quote that kind of got people uh, riled up was Dick Monfort, uh, who is the owner of the Colorado Rockies, complaining about how it's hard you know, it's expensive to own a team. That it's hard for them. You know, you got to pay for security, and there's the additional COVID costs anymore. Uh, let's talk about being the, uh, <laughs> you know, nobody cares. <laughs> like you're not going to get anyone out there feeling bad for you, Mister Billionaire Owner, because all of them are billionaires. There's not an owner who isn't a billionaire. Uh, yeah, there might be additional costs, but there's a reason why. Okay, we love our Cleveland Guardians. If you're a Cleveland fan, you love the Guardians. In the 90s, they expanded a little bit. Maybe there's still some residual fans from when like they were the team in baseball. But for the most part, it is a very regional baseball team in a market which struggles to fully support the team. Because, let's be honest, Cleveland is not a three-sport-sized town compared to a lot of other cities who have three sports. I mean, I went through and did the a very lazy math approach to it where I just took metropolitan area populations and multiplied it by the uh, GDP of the metropolitan area to give kind of just a baseline of funds per area. And the only two teams that were lower, maybe no, I think the Reds were the only team that had a lower overall one with that lazy approach. Like I said, this was like probably close to a decade ago that I tried to do this is just, hey, math I can do. Uh, the Indians have a very small imprint I'm sorry, the Guardians have a very small imprint relative to the rest of, of baseball. But still, this team has, in the last five years, twice got, you know, I'm saying five years. I mean, originally the previous owner was before that. You can expand it out. But it doesn't change the fact that, what, a two-year gap between getting a new minority ownership group that is on track to buy the team People want to buy baseball teams. It is not that big of an inconvenience to have to pay for things like security. COVID took a little bit more out of the pockets of owners, I am sure. But the other thing you just can't, you know, uh, knock is the fact that when Dolan sells this team, he's going to have bought it for what three hundred million, and he's going to sell it for a billion plus uh, in less than twenty years. Not a bad return on investment, right? Uh, not to mention, I'm sure. Even if he was playing it very tight to his vest and, you know, it was really honest uh, that they don't make money every year, I'm sure he's still net positive from, you know, buying the team to the end plus what he'll make uh, at the end there. So, you know, there is that. And, I mean, I'll be honest, it's hard because we're in this situation where, again, we are Cleveland Guardians fans. If you're listening to this podcast, more than likely, I know I have a few of you who are not Guardians fans. Thank you for listening. But if you're a Guardians fan, we have to deal with the fact that every time we get a transcendent talent, they're going to leave. Like that is just built in our, into our psyche. This is the one sport where you can't keep a transcendent talent. There's not that built in, you know, lug, uh, not luxury tax, like franchise tag or, you know, max rights or not max, whatever the max free agent or max contract is. Every other sport, if a player wants to stay, you can keep your stars. It doesn't happen in baseball. And that is something that hurts the sport 
in terms of its ability for growth and in terms of just losing fans along the way. Uh, and that's going to get into part of segment two. This is my tease. We'll get into segment two and discuss, you know, what my idea was to maybe help help move along these negotiations while also doing something to still help the smaller uh, market teams. But uh, yeah, you know, short, long story short, short story long, however you want to look at my taken, you know, speaking about it here. Basically, there's never a shortage of people who want to own a baseball team. Uh, even though everyone who owns a baseball team wants to tell you about how bad it is to own a baseball team and how they're always losing money and this and that, yet the minute these teams go on the market, there is someone who steps up and wants to buy them. They never sit out there long. It's never a process. Uh, so there's that. But at the same time, I also understand that, I mean, they're billionaires. You'd think they'd be able to keep talent. I can't see the books. I mean, honestly, Major League Baseball... I can never trust ownership until they release the books. You get to see it in a lot of other sports, and you do get to see it with the Blue Jays and the Braves, and it is a little bit enlightening there. And I mean, I did another thing years and years ago where I I laid it out, where I just kind of took all the data the Braves released in terms of the money they made, this and that. And when you looked at uh, you know attendance and tickets, and you looked at value of TV contracts, the difference between the Braves and the Guardians payroll was almost identical to the difference in uh, attendance times average ticket price plus the difference in uh, TV money. The the difference in those two teams' payrolls was identical to the Braves having a better TV contract and to the Braves selling more tickets and having a higher revenue. That gap was almost the full thing. I'd have to go pull it up on Twitter. So that's about as close as we get where it does look like, hey, but at the same time, you know the Braves made a profit that year. So... You know, maybe the Guardians did, maybe they didn't. But yeah, there's it's it's an icky situation. Let's be honest. It is an icky situation because if you're a small market fan, the way it is set up stinks. There's no way around it. It stinks, it's awful. Losing uh Hall of Famers all the time makes makes you lose fans. But at the same time, it's hard to defend billionaires not being willing to spend their own money. It's there's no way to win. We'll come back and hear in segment two my best attempt to try to make things a little bit better for our Cleveland Guardians while also maybe making players and owners happy. Is it possible? Tune in and find out. Let's talk about our good friends over at Belt Bar. Belt Bar. Belt Bar. Ooh, I eat it every day. You'd think I'd get it right. But hey, factory sealed second sale. All bars discounted. Churro is back. And the coconut brownie chunk bites are under $10. And the best thing about that, when you have those bites, A, I believe Coconut Brownie Chunk won the winner of the Sweet 64. It is a favorite, one of their best. But if it's under 10 bucks, that means when you use the promo code LOCK15, you also save 15%. So you could do savings on top of savings. Uh, that means even with these factory-sealed seconds where you're going to get that deal, those are all discounted on top of discounts. In the new arrival section, Caramel Almond Delight. I have a box of that upstairs. I enjoy it. Eggnog, still tempted by it. Caramel Macchiato, Churro Puff, Coconut Brownie Chunk, and the Coconut Almond Protein Ball. There is so much to do, so much to eat. It is all delicious. It is nutritious. Just go to their very site. Look at them as they compare themselves against other protein bars. Less carbs, less sugar than most, higher in fiber than most, comparable in protein. You got less fat and less calories. It is a delicious tasting bar. I have sat there and tried something like Quest. I have tried these other bars. I got very tired of them and they were so dense. It was not an enjoyable eat. I've been eating Bilt Bar for two years plus and it stays delicious. Go to BiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, take advantage of it today. 
So segment three, let's let's do a tease. Let's do a tease at the thank you again for making Locked On uh, Guardians your first listen today and every day, free and available wherever it is you get podcasts. Uh, segment three tease, we're going to talk Hall of Fame. We'll get there in a second. Segment uh, two, my proposal. Okay, so one of the big issues we have seen, you know, we think there's, you know, there's MLB, uh, there's going to be some movement on the pre-arbitration pool. There's going to be likely, you know, six years of free agency is staying. The arbitration process is staying. We might see the elimination of um, uh, draft pick compensation for players. Now, that kind of stinks, again, if you're a small market fan. But honestly, the Indians haven't been even off. I mean, Michael Brantley, they didn't give the qualifying offer. He was really the last player you'd consider that with. I, there was a point in time where I thought they were going to offer it to Cody Allen, Andrew Miller, and Michael Brantley. I thought they were going to get three first-round picks. They didn't offer it to any, and two of the three imploded badly that year. Uh, but that's that's for another time. But I, since Obaldo Jimenez, they have not actually gotten a draft pick from uh, the compensation system. They don't let a lot of guys go to free agency. They don't let guys walk. Um, I don't think it's something I would really be willing to fight for. Uh, I don't think there's a whole big value in it. I mean, in recent history, they've lost more picks when you go through. It's like, yeah, okay, there was a Baldo. Um, before that, I'm trying to remember who might have cost them some higher picks to sign. I can't remember. It's like, I'm, I have to go back. Like, my mind jumps to like, well, Juan Gonzalez cost him a first. Uh, it, that was a while ago. That was like two draft systems ago. But, uh, you know, Swisher and uh, Bourne, cost them a pair of picks that's that's at least kind of that was the Clint Frazier draft you know that's within the current draft system so they have actually lost more picks to the compensation system than they have gained from it I don't know if we'll see either of those cases occurring uh of them signing a player or offering a player it seems like there's definitely been a change in approach but uh it's not as big of a loss as we probably have a tendency to think about I think that probably goes. The The players still want to do some things with the draft, so I'll be curious to see. And I'm not opposed to the changes because uh, your Cleveland Guardians are a well-run well organization. They have not had a top 10 pick uh, since that Clint Frazier selection. Uh, the new system would kind of reward teams for playing a little bit better, right? They're trying to do some reverses, some things that uh, you know, uh, could... I, you know, the wheel system was always interesting. I, I was in an OOTP league where I hated the wheel. And then like, once I got used to it, I was like, okay, this isn't the worst thing ever because, uh, in an OOTP, you know, you're running through season so quickly relative, you know, uh, still not super quick, but you get through multiple in a year and tanking was a major incentive in baseball. I still don't see it so much as the tank as the, uh, lack of financial incentive. If you're a bad team to play well. So we'll see what happens with the draft. It's, uh, uh, I'll be curious. Let's just put it that way. I mean, it's a draft. Of course, I'm going to be curious. But one of the other bones of contention is uh, the players want less money. They don't like the idea of revenue sharing. They think that it discourages overall spending, that it encourages bad teams to not actually use the money that gets spent, that their you know teams can make more money, that it's it's not... You know, money that if it's... You know, if the Yankees didn't have to share revenue, they would buy all of the free agents. Uh, they would have a payroll, you know, twice the size of what it is now and they wouldn't worry about things like luxury tax and revenue sharing uh, and that might be true and you can see why the players would want that i mean that's doubling a team's payroll it, it would lead to higher payrolls in general as the low-end teams aren't spending to begin with even though they're getting that cut of the pie you eliminate the restrictions on the upper upper you know upper crust teams they're just going to spend uh, even more so i mean likely it would increase the overall spending that occurs in the league uh, having said that here's my proposal Instead of eliminating or drastically reducing revenue sharing, 
Uh, keep it as it is, but let's incentivize. Let's go out and make it so your a certain percentage of your revenue sharing is directly tied to spending to maintain talent, to keep talent in place. So if your cut of the revenue, you know, again, this is something I spitballed today after reading through things. If revenue sharing was something like, you know, the teams get a certain amount and then 50% of that has to be spent to maintain a player who has been with your organization for, you know, four or five set years, unless there's a situation where you have none, none of such player, but something that encourages the team to spend. Basically, subsidizing a team like the Guardians to keep a Lindor, to keep a Ramirez. Uh, they say they can't afford $30 million a year. What happens if part of revenue sharing was just kept in a pool that was only, you know, for paying a percentage of player contracts? Like I said, it's it's not a perfect idea, and it's something I'd have to really expand on and figure out. But again, so the Guardians still get their pool of money. They're not spending their revenue. Like we saw that this past year. I mean, they're uh, they were kind of they were tearing everything down to make it as uh, as sellable as possible. Having that low payroll and everything else really set them up with some really nice books. Uh, and I think the overall push was for ownership that they set themselves in a situation that made them uh, even more interesting as a sellable team. But what I again, what I want to focus on with this is this idea that revenue sharing then could stay the same, uh, but it has to go specifically into player contracts slash salaries and specifically with lower market teams to re- retain elite high-end talent you have to come up with a system maybe like the old type a type b free agency to go back to something i talked about in some uh you know the very top of this segment but something that encourages teams to keep talent in their organization that encourages teams to spend on that talent because again you know i'm 40 <laughs> i've said that before the number of my friends over the years who've fallen off baseball, and you might be like, they're not true baseball fans, and that's fine, but we need all types. It can't just be, you know, the best of the best when it comes to baseball fans. You, When you are a small market team, you need all the fans you can get in there. Uh, the people who are kind of the occasional fan are also very helpful, and we need all of those parts and pieces. We need everyone going. And when you lose those casual fans, that is revenue that leaves out the gate. That is revenue you can't get back. And like I said, I have just had a lot of people who can't stomach being a Guardians fan. They can't. It's like every time I get attached to someone, I know they're going to be gone. Uh, and that's that's a real thing. That is something that occurs. So trying to figure out a way to make it so maybe they could retain talent. Maybe a team could keep a Jose Ramirez, could keep a Frankie Lindor. I know Lindor had the down year. We'll see what happens this year. Let's, a lot of guys have down years and rebound. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. <laughs> but would maybe help you keep, because that's the thing. It's not like it would help you keep everyone, but we'd be in a situation where two years ago, maybe they still trade Lindor and they're like, okay, we have kind of this setup where we can afford to designate one player as kind of like the franchise guy. You're still doing Jose at the time. It was very clear he was the better player. I mean, if it was even two, you would say it was Jose and Shane. It was not going to be uh, Francisco Lindor. So it would still hopefully keep you from some of those decisions. But it also sets up a situation where, like, if you're the Reds, yeah, it's great. You've kept Joey Votto for his whole Hall of Fame-worthy career, in my opinion. We'll talk about Hall of Fame in Segment 3. But now you're not quite as handcuffed by it. So you kept the guy there. You kept a core piece, allowed you to retain talent. You got a guy who got to be a face of your franchise for 20 years, gets to be one of your greatest players of all time, helps to cement and build the legacy of your team, helps keep fans 
interested because as much as we follow the uh, the uniform, as much as we are a fan of the uniform first, many of us out there, uh, having a guy that you love who stays there is important. It matters, and specifically it matters with the younger audience. So having some kind of system in place that allows for something close to like a franchise-type deal where there is a subsidization of such contracts through revenue sharing, that is my idea. <laughs> Basically a way to retain one player at least, one top-end player who can stay that face of your franchise, who can help with that continuity, who can help you build through the community and through having a star in place. Uh, that is the idea I am kind of pushing for. And that's an idea I like because, again, I think something that, you know, I, I'm i never going to side with the owners, but there is that part of me that goes, man, the way a team like Cleveland constantly loses uh, the faces of the franchise is bad for baseball and Cleveland in general. So it's finding that way to work. And this is my idea. So make sure to tell me what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. Come back in segment three to hear me go off about the Hall of Fame. Bet Online has you covered. Uh, no matter what it is that you follow, you like when it comes to sports and Vegas casino games, Bet Online, with their new redesigned website, has what you are looking for. And remember that when you go to Bet Online, you want to use the promo code LOCKED ON. That gives you a 5 0, 50% bonus on your first deposit. Who doesn't like free money? I like it. I'm sure you do do as well. Uh, Again, it doesn't matter if you are a football, hockey, ultimate fighting. It doesn't matter if you prefer the Vegas casino games or poker. You will find it over at betonline.ag. Go check it out for yourself. Mobile website friendly. And remember again, that promo code locked on to get your free 50% bonus. I have done a lot of ad reads over my time, my nearly 700 episodes here at Locked On, and we have never had a bonus anywhere near that 50% that I'm mentioning here. So again, go check it out. Go to betonline.ag, promo code locked on. Hall of Fame's a joke. Let's just be honest. Let's lead off there. The Hall of Fame is a joke. Barry Bonds was mean. Uh, Barry Bonds probably cheated in an era where a high percentage of the league cheated. Let's just get that out there. Uh, Before we got all high and mighty, a lot of players were juicing. Uh, David Ortiz had a negative drug test. Remember that? And everyone is doing backflips to defend that. Uh, David Ortiz was a player who uh, had a mysterious breakout after being a middling minor league baseball player with the Twins. It's like... You know, if there's anyone on this list, Barry Bonds was a, was a Hall of Famer before he was on steroids. Back, if you look at his production with the Pirates when he was a really skinny guy, and we know we've talked about the head growth and this or that, uh, David Ortiz with Minnesota was about a league average bat uh, for most of his career. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets let go. He had two full seasons in Minnesota. Now we kind of look at it and you're like, hey, 839, 810, those are solid. And the 839 was a pretty solid number when he was a 26-year-old with Minnesota. It's it's not that he was bad, but he was okay. You know, this is a guy, 10 home runs, 18 home runs, 20 home runs, uh, in 415, 303, and 412 at-bats. So there was 30 home run potential there. There's no doubt. But the, the prodigious power that came, part of this is also just like the one thing we know about guys who juice, if we are being honest, is they have a, uh, it helps maintain production as they age, right? It helps them recover from injuries quicker. It helps them, uh, you know, kind of stay fit a little bit easier and do things like that. Uh, If I'm looking through all of these players, like Barry Bond, yes, he got big, but he was always a guy who 
was strong and was built well. David Ortiz had a, you know what he looked like. Like, I'm not going to fat shame anyone. I'm not going to, I mean, i probably already in danger just from having said that. He was kind of a bigger guy. He was not someone you looked at as like the picture of, you know, muscular or anything like that, or like the premium athlete. That that was David Ortiz. Uh, if David Ortiz hadn't been with the Boston Red Sox, he's not in the Hall of Fame on his first ballot. That's a guarantee. He was not one of these big market guys who essentially also became like a cornerstone of that franchise. He's not in the Hall of Fame. And because if he played for Cleveland, I think people would be like, it's a little bit weird that someone with his build uh, played to 40. You know, you look at him, he didn't become, he didn't get 500 plate appearances in a season until he's 27. But he kept with, you know, getting 500, 600 almost every year. 2012 was the only one he missed time. Uh, and in his final year was uh, was one of his finest at age 40. Yeah, Nelson Cruz has a similar story. Uh, we can go through and look at that. Nelson Cruz is, it has a, you know, again, David Ortiz is not the person you think, oh, yeah, he's going to be able to dominate. He's going to keep physically going at a high level. But we can look past that and do magical backflips about his, uh, his positive testing or his uh, sample. Ah, to me, that's, it's such a, I'm not opposed to voting for Ortiz. I think he's a borderline candidate. I mean, you look at his comp similarity batter scores, Frank Thomas, Fred McGriff, who isn't in, Manny Ramirez, who isn't in, Miguel Cabrera, Jim Tomey, Rafael Palmeiro. Uh, it's players of a certain era, uh, Gary Sheffield. And him being DH only is also part of the problem, just in terms of you know, navigating his value. But I just get, I'm not, anyone who voted for him, that, okay, whatever, that's fine. Like, he wouldn't have been someone I personally voted for, but that's because there's people I would have placed ahead of him. Uh, I think... You can't sit there and to be high and mighty about Barry Bonds and the like and then not and vote for Ortiz. I think there's just too much for that era. There's too much just in terms of success late into his 30s that would even, with the diluted sample, makes you go, eh, you know. Uh, personally, uh, after reading some of the stuff with uh, Roger Clemens, Keith Law did a great thing talking about you know his situation with Mindy McCready. I wouldn't have voted for Clemens. It's a little bit too creepy uh, for me. But Bonds, I would have voted for. I would have voted for Scott Rowland. I would have voted for Gary Sheffield uh, in, in this class. I would have voted for Todd Helton, Andrew Jones. I would have voted for A-Rod. Again, you can get into the steroids of it all. He was one of the greatest players to ever play the game. It's crazy to me that, you know, he is that. How about the fact that, like, Manny Ramirez is at 29%. Omar Vizquel is at 24%. Now, however you want to look at it, Manny Ramirez was a better baseball player than Omar Vizquel, and that wasn't close. And Omar Vizquel is a worse human being. So in terms of, like, I don't know how 24% of people, after what has come out in the past year for Omar, could still vote for him. I mean, this is just all why this is a joke to me. I, You know, I can go down through this list in the... You know, you look at some of the guys who dropped off... Uh, you know, I don't know if there's anyone out there where I'm like, ah, Tim Hudson, maybe he's the one guy. I'm like, oh, he could have survived a bit longer. I, I'd be half tempted to vote Mark Burley. I know he's barely getting support, but he was one of those guys with just longevity. It's the same thing with Andy Pettit. Like, I would vote for Pettit or Burley ahead of Omar. I'd vote for Jeff Kent. He did a lot as a second baseman. Again, a uh, terrible defender, but there aren't a lot of second basemen who had his level of production. I know there's also, and there's like the people who only vote for Jeff Kent. 
it's like, yes, I believe he also had his own diluted samples and issues, but it's so dumb. It's the Hall of Fame. We need to talk about, like, the greatest players ever. And if you don't put in Barry Bonds, then you don't have the greatest players ever in. It is uh, the high and mightiness of this. The people who are sitting there, like, so happy. And it's just ridiculous. The whole process is annoying. And I know there's people out there who are already, like, typing at me on my Twitter, at Jeff, like, oh, I'm glad the cheaters aren't in. We don't know who was and who wasn't. That's the problem. We have these assumptions. We have this some knowledge, but not all. And we really can't say for sure. And that's BS anyways, because we have a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Gaylord Perry's in there who cheated his whole way to his Hall of Fame career and gladly would tell you about how he was hiding foreign substances. Uh, I I have a bigger issue with, you know, the Ty Cobbs of the world, the people who we know is like a racist, terrible human being, than I do with some of the people who made an art of cheating. And then again, with our current era of play, or not current, but I should say that the juiced ball era, uh, we we really have no idea. Like it became a big to do. I mean, come on, there were congressional hearings on it, but I mean, who cares? (laughs) Like, okay, records got broken. Guess what? Records are always gonna get broken. Especially as the game changes and evolves. Those records won't even last that were broken during that era. Uh, We're going to see things change. The game isn't, you know, it's not even the same game as it was all those years ago. And, you know, the sanctity of the records at the same time is also like, yeah, Babe Ruth did stuff that no one has ever seen. But, you know, he only did it against white people. So really, what is the sanctity of that record? You know, we know he was not facing the best of the best. That's just the truth of the matter. Uh, there's a lot of ways you could view the prism of Major League Baseball where it's like, okay, so up until Jackie Robinson, those guys are cheating because they only allowed white people to play. Like, that's uh, that's a cheat in a way. Uh, so I, I have a real hard time getting all that upset. I think the best players should be in, and we can sort it out. There's part of me that even though I go, I don't know about Roger Clemens uh, or Kurt Schilling, it's like, uh, can we make the wing of like questionable moral fiber and just put those players over there? Uh, you know, it's, if you were one of the greats to play the game, you're one of the greats to play the game. And I don't just say that because, you know, I had like a Roger Clemens poster as a kid. I'll admit I did. Uh, I loved him in RBI baseball, but, uh, <laughs> enough. I've gone long. Uh, major league baseball is dumb. The hall of fame, at least in terms of voting for the hall of fame, it's dumb. Uh, in terms of having a lockout, it's dumb right now. It's just dumb. Uh, if I offended you, I'm sorry, but I, I don't have a better word uh, for what's going on. You're you're alienating fans with the lockout uh, when you're already a, a third to fourth place sport. Uh, your Hall of Fame voting is a joke, which is mostly ruled over by, again, old white dudes who have that ability to vote. Um, and I say that as an old white dude or a middle-aged white dude, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's they need to do more. It's why, at the same time, you know, I should before I sign off here, Minnie Minoso should have been in so long ago, former Guardians tribe hand, uh, who was briefly with the team, series of trades there, uh, we have talked about on the show, but it's like he should have been in long ago. The fact he wasn't is a joke, and the number of guys who have not been put in the Hall of Fame that the senior committee have to step up and put in uh, just shows how flawed and terrible this voting process is, and honestly, I feel like uh, some of these people if they put in really crap ballots for two to three years, it should be revoked. Take it away. Like there is just no way to defend some of the things that some voters are doing out there. And again, if you think David Ortiz should be in, I am, uh, 
I don't hate it. I think, again, though, if you are going to be someone who is like, I only vote for him and not the cheaters, you can't take that high road here. You can't. So if it, that is where I have my issue, if you're that person, I, I disagree. Because, again, uh, diluted sample and then just guys don't get better in when they turn 40. The, 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 nothing tracks correctly uh, for what we are used to seeing in baseball. Maybe he's the exception to the rule. But, uh, yeah, that is my thoughts on the Hall of Fame. That is my thoughts on the current collective bargaining agreement. Uh, let's try to do a mailbag on Friday. So hit me up with questions either on my Facebook. I can still see those messages over there or on my Twitter at Draft. Thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day. And go check out Lockdown Cavs because, I mean, man, aren't they a fun team to watch right now? And as we end every show now, go, go, Guardians, go.